Well, good morning. It is so good to see everybody on this beautiful day to be worshiping together. Hey, if you're new here, I am so glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, if you are new, my name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here at the well. And it's just uh, such a blessing to have you here. I hope you find yourself at home, that uh, you can make some friends today, and that you feel uh, right as part of our family as we get to worship Jesus together. If you, if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and take that out and go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to continue our walk through this entire book today. And today we are going to specifically be walking through what the Lord says about marriage. And so the Bible says, and what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, is that marriage is a mystery. And so if you are married here, there may be remnants and elements of that phrase that, that are absolutely, you feel are absolutely true. Some of y'all feel that. You may be looking around at your marriage or <laughs> maybe one you've seen. There's all kinds of mystery there. You know, when you're dating someone, that's one thing, but you don't like really know them until you get married. When you get married, that's when you know who they really are. And it's full of all kinds of surprises on the other side of marriage. You know, some of you guys may be wondering, like, hey, today was great. Next day, you do the same exact thing, and maybe the spouse, the bride's upset. We have no idea what happened. But that's why I have the Starbucks app on my phone to mend whatever I did on that day. In my marriage, I thought of this. It's probably a mystery to Lexi um, why we have been married for five years, and sometimes I still struggle to put particular dishes or bowls in the correct place or where to find them. And, you know, I even asked her this morning, I was like, is, is that a mystery in our marriage? And she, uh, she said, no, that's, that's not a mystery. You just don't pay attention. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's a nice dose of humility, Lex. See, marriage, um, it's a mystery. It, it really is. And not so much because of what happens in the day-to-day -day life, but because of what it means and because of what it stands for, according to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Because marriage is not a random thing. It's not just something you do out of emotion, but marriage is in fact an image, a picture of something greater. It's an image of the love of Jesus and his love for his bride, the church, which is you and I where we see in marriage, man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. And so today we are going to walk through Paul teaching the church on God's design for marriage. And so what is his design? It's important to know that God has instituted and designed marriage because when someone lives within God's design, whether it's marriage or something else in this life, it is when it flourishes the most. When something lives within God's design, that is when it flourishes and it grows, and particularly within marriage. See, God created marriage, therefore, when it is lived in its, His context, it's when husband and wife thrive together and it glorifies Him. If you consider a garden, when does it thrive? It has sunshine. The soil has been tended to appropriately. It has water. It has all the different things it needs, and then it grows in due time. And see, God has a design for marriage, and when you live within its design, it will grow as well. Where marriages mature, they flourish, there is joy, and it's glorifying to God. That's what you see when it's within his design. And so today, my, my goal, my, my hope is to help you 
whether you are a single person who is pursuing marriage and you want to know what the expectation is, his design of marriage is, someone if you're here dating and you're like on the cusp of maybe asking the big question, if you're here as a married couple, praying that this will be helpful for you to strengthen your marriage, to see it be solidified further in God's word. As one pastor said, if you're here today as maybe a widow, that you would find remnants and comfort in God's grace and his kindness and what you saw in your marriage. And that it would just be helpful for this church that our marriages that we see exist in this fellowship would thrive and grow in Jesus. And so let's see God's design for marriage, and then we'll unpack all those different things. And so I want you to look in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, and we're going to read 22 through uh, 33 today, the end of chapter 5. So if you'll follow along with me, starting in verse 22, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let's pray, and we will ask the Lord to show us his truth today as we walk through this. So if you would, let's, let's pray together. Father, um, we come to you now with a uh, with an understanding that you speak to us through your word. That God, right now in this moment, your spirit is moving in us. And so, God, I just pray that we would be open to receive what you would have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would just illuminate our minds and grow our hearts closer to you. That we would, our lives would be formed deeper into the image of your son, Christ. And that whether we're pursuing marriage or whether someone's in a marriage or someone's wanting you to encourage a brother or sister in marriage, that, Lord, you would equip us today in such a task. And that in all of this, it would point to the love of Jesus. So, God, we give this time to you. And we ask that your spirit would move in all of us now as we look into your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. So, if you haven't been here, or maybe this is your first time to the well, as we have been going through Ephesians, Paul is laying out in the second half of Ephesians 
what it looks like to follow Christ and what it looks like to walk in love in response to who God is. And so we see that God is loving and that God is sovereign and God is just. And so these final chapters are a response to his character and his attributes and what he is like. And so last week, when we were talking about different marks of someone that is walking in love, walking in a way that's according to the manner of Christ, in the last verse that we read last week in verse 21, the final mark that we talked about is that men and women are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in the life of a mature Jesus follower, we have this pattern of laying down our lives for the sake of our brothers and sisters as we are led according to the Holy Spirit when we have those opportunities. And he uses that key word, which is submission or the word submit. And so what happens is after this in chapter five, Paul begins to talk about authority and he begins to talk about submission in three different contexts. He talks about marriage, which we see right here in this section. He talks about parenting and children and the relationship there. And then he talks about work afterwards. And he is talking about how submission plays out in all these different types of relationships. They're different in each one. But the main bottom line is there is a certain level of authority and submission that we see in each one of those relationships with parenting and marriage and work and so on. And so... He is showing us and teaching us God's design and the roles and the love and the sacrifice and the submitting that happens in the context of marriage. So what I want you to see today is when he starts out this verse, it is coming off of what he said in the previous one in 21, which is why we're talking about this in, the light, uh, in light of submission. So the first thing I want you to see today, the first truth, if you're a note taker, is number one, what is God's design for marriage? Number one is this, that he speaks going through his order. The first one is that wives are to submit to their husbands. So the first one that we see here in verse 22 is that wives are to submit to their husbands. He says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so, again, coming off of what he said in verse 21, he starts out by clarifying the role of the bride, the wife. What, what is her role? What, is, what does it look like for her in marriage? And he begins with this, to submit to their husband. If you think about it like this, we have to understand a little bit of what that word submit means. It's not so much a blind following or just a just say, just say following because there are with no thought put into it. But if you think about it like this, one way of, of many ways to think about it is, and, and track with me here, is if you think about geese flying through the air, there is one leader and then they'll be flying in a certain type of pattern and all the other geese are following the leader, okay? And so whoever's next to that leader, they're going to be going the direction they're going. They're going to be following in line wherever the leader is going. And so wherever that leader's going, the rest are trusting and following their leadership. And so what submission looks like in the context of marriage and right here, it's not a blind following or a forced reality, but it's a willful, intentional following of a leader. And specifically in this context of a husband. It's following and trusting 
this individual, that husband, as they follow Christ. This submission that is careful, it's genuine, and it's in a complete level of submission as it's honoring to the Lord. Now, why would God, why would Paul here, speaking through Paul, why would he tell for wives to submit to their husbands? Why would he say that? It is because of how he has created men and women. And here's the thing. He has created men and women, husbands and wives, very differently. Now, just if you look around, men and women are very different. There are lots of differences. There are similarities, but there's unique differences. And those are to be celebrated. Those are to be cheered on because God has created it. A way to think about it is this, is that husband and wife, men and women, they complement one another. Husband and wives complement one another. That men and women, a way to think about it, is that they are equal in value, but they're differing in role. That's very important. When a husband and wife come together in marriage, they're equal in dignity and value, but they're differing in role. If you don't believe me on it, When you go to Genesis 1 and 2, God's created all of mankind, and he begins with Adam and Eve. And so he creates man, Adam, and in the garden, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. So what does God proceed to do next? In Genesis 2, verse 18, he says, I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. And so he creates his wife, Eve. And so you have Adam and Eve, both intrinsically valuable in the eyes of God, both equally in dignity and worth in his image, but they have very different roles. He gives Adam the leadership of that family, and Eve has the role of a helpmate to help him in his life and journey. So for example, even in my own family, Lex is a she, and I know this is shocking, but she is a better mother to our children than I could be. I know that's crazy, but she really is. And it's not because I don't have certain abilities and skills that Lex has, but it's that she is designed for this in part. And I'm thankful for that. It's amazing to see and watch what moms do and only moms can do. That doesn't necessarily make her better than me, though, because she has better mothering abilities. But I'm thankful that she is wired this way and created this way. She has this calling from God to uh, mother our kids in a loving and equipping and discipling manner. I'm thankful for these different roles. And so it's absolutely within bounds to say all this to say, it's absolutely within bounds to say that it's within God's design for us to come together where people come together as one in marriage, their husband and wife, they're equal in value, but differing in role. And so the wife is a follower and the husband is the head of the family. He is the leader. If you look at verse 23 and 24, he gives a distinctive role here. He says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so he defines these two roles. Now, here's how I want to just encourage some of the ladies here today. If you are an unmarried lady, whether single or maybe dating and seeking out a guy, or maybe you're engaged, 
if you're not willing to follow a particular brother, to follow him as he follows Christ, to trust in his leadership, to trust him as he follows the Lord, not willing to submit to a particular individual, that is a good reason not to marry that individual, not to marry that guy. Because in marriage, you're joining yourself together as one. You're joining yourself to this one person. And it's within God's design to trust and follow along and to partner together in life as he follows the Lord's guidance for your family. Look for someone that you're willing to follow. Look for someone that you're willing to trust. Look for someone that is willing to lead the house. And in this, you will find health as you live within God's design. Not that you can't make decisions, because I love that in, even in my own marriage, that Lex has so much insight and wisdom and giftedness and skill and decision-making that she brings. It's not that, is that that doesn't exist in a marriage, because it absolutely does and is necessary. If the guys made all the decisions, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. But it's in this, follow and find someone that you would be willing to submit to. For married women, pray for your husbands. Pray for them as they follow Christ. Pray for them that they would walk with Jesus and love Jesus and to submit to their leadership. You never submit, of course, if if it was gonna lead you into sin or it was gonna lead you outside of God's design, it was gonna lead you into a place that would cause you to live in depravity or sinfulness or temptation, none of those things. But in life to submit to him as a help, as a friend and see God's design flourish in your marriage as you serve alongside him. God has given us these roles because they are good. And it's when husband and wife grow and flourish the most. Pray for that husband, pray for him and live in submission to him. We see that wives are to submit to their husbands But Paul keeps going on. He's going to speak to husbands as well in this chapter. So number one, wives are to submit to their husbands. But number two, husbands, here's what you're supposed to do. Husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are to love their wives. If you are married, you have a primary responsibility to love your wife. It is so important. If you'll notice in this chapter, right after verse 24, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands are to love their wives. And what we see here is like, well, and we, and I've said this before, but like, what's the standard? Like, how do we know what that love looks like? Because that's a very vague word, and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Well, how do we know what the standard is for love for a husband towards his wife? Well, he says it. He says, excuse you, or Piper, <laughs> um, um, that he might sanctify her and love her as He gave himself up for her. And so here is the bar, husbands. Here is the bar, guys, who want to be married. The bar is the love that Jesus had for the church. And what did Jesus ultimately do for the church? He died for her. 
He died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. And so listen, this is very important, guys. A husband's leadership is not marked by domineering, but it's marked by sacrifice. It's not marked by a dictatorship or authoritarianism in the home, but it is marked by an intentional giving of yourself, a sacrifice of yourself. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for the church on the cross. He gave his life for his bride. He died for her. And so the bar for husbands is to lay down their lives for the sake of their bride. That's the mark of love. That's the mark of sacrifice. And so ladies, submission to a husband, it should not be met by a husband who is reckless or careless or unwilling to serve. But in fact, it should be met by sacrifice on his part. What should husbands be doing in their love and care for their wife? What should they be doing? He goes through some of it here. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing water in the word, presenting the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. In the same way, husbands, verse 28, should love their wives as their own bodies. We see this love painted like this, this illustration like this, to wash her with the word to care for your wife or future bride. How? We do this, guys, by guiding families through the word. To prayerfully consider centering your marriage, centering your home around the word of God, that it would be sanctified and cleansed by the word of God. To have this time where you can come together as a family and open up the word and hear God speak to you and your household and that you will grow together, not as individual silos, and there is absolutely a place for that to grow as individuals in Christ, but even in the family, to to read the word and feast on the word and to memorize the word and pray the word and sing the word, and you carry a responsibility to lead your family through that. Husbands, consider this family devotion that you would be willing to do so for your bride, for your children, for anyone in your house. To guide her through the word, to take care of her and her well-being and her heart. To consider intentional conversation. Have you been asking how she actually is doing, not just in passing by? Are there any needs in the home that you can help meet and sacrifice your time? Are there any ways that you can pray for her or encourage her or cheer her on? What can you be doing to intentionally care for her by sacrificing your time, talents, and treasures for your bride? To guide her through the word, to take care of her well-being and heart, to lead her carefully and effectively, lovingly in such a manner that it honors Christ and that she flourishes in your family. To lead your family according to the word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit instead of the world. There are a lot of books. There are a lot of people and a lot of guides and a lot of websites and a lot of articles that will tell you how to have a happy, joyful marriage. But before we run to any of those things, Let us run to Christ and his word and see how he has called us to lead in this house and to lead in our homes. He has given us all that we need. And so I pray that we would trust in Jesus. We would trust in what he says here. 
as the format and design of the home rather than what we can find on the internet. Let's run to him and trust the, the Lord's leadership and how to lead our homes and our marriages and our children. Guide your wife through the word. Guide your spouse through um, her wellness and taking care of her heart to lead her effectively, carefully, lovingly. To speak to a few different groups this morning, if you're here, maybe you are someone, guy that's single, or maybe you are dating. Here's the deal. Your responsibility is not to be the coolest husband and the richest husband you can possibly be, okay? Just to kind of free you from that. Your responsibility isn't to be the coolest. It isn't to be the richest. It is to be a leader and it's to be faithful. That's your responsibility. Don't worry about being the smoothest and the most ripped guy in the world, but focus on being the most faithful guy, faithful to the Lord and faithful to the church and faithful to the family. She doesn't have to have a six-figure salary and a six-pack. Now, she may appreciate those things, but she needs someone who loves Jesus deeply and will lead her to love Jesus deeply. That's what she needs. So in your time dating, one of the best ways, single guys, to steward your time now is to grow in leading yourself. You lead yourself well so that when your time comes, you are disciplined and ready to lead another. Another reminder, guys that are dating, guys that are pursuing marriage, dating is not marriage, okay? (laughs) Do not assume the responsibilities of marriage without actually being married. I know some guys are in the first week of dating. They're like, all right, let's go. I'm going to take on the full weight of marriage. Let's do this thing. And I'm like, slow down. It's all right. Some guys are just really excited, but wait. Do not enter into family Bible study yet. You just focus on saving for a ring instead, and you just read that Bible on your own, okay? That day is coming, but it's not right now. Steward your time well, prepare, and be equipped so that you can be married and to lead someone else one day. Married men, you have one of the greatest opportunities in the world. It is to lead a family and to lead your bride. Remember, authority comes with great responsibility. It really does. Between the Lord and your bride, you made a covenant to lead her well. That was your covenant. That was your responsibility and commitment to the Lord and to the church, that you would lead and care for your bride well. How can you adjust your time and your schedules and rhythms so that she would flourish more? so that she would benefit more, so that she would receive more care? Do you need to set time to walk through the word more? Do you need to minimize something in the home so that the word can be lifted high? Are you asking, are you actually asking intentional questions to check on her, how she's actually doing? Are you praying for her? Are you sacrificing your time and your treasure, your hobbies, so that she would grow, that she would be joyful, that she would have all that she could have in your marriage? Are you willing to lay down yourself so that she would be lifted up? Because a husband's mark in marriage that's healthy is by his sacrifice. So married men, see this opportunity, see the responsibility, and then lead accordingly. So what happens 
is when you have these two roles between the husband and the wife, the wife who is following the husband's lead and the husband who is leading well, these two come together, and this is where the mystery happens. The Bible says that this mystery happens when they come together and the two become one. And so these two, they create something incredible. And here's the final part, is they create an image. And so number three, the last thing, the last truth that I want you to see today is that marriage is an image of the gospel. So when you have a wife that is in submission to her husband, a husband that is in a radical sacrifice and love to the wife, these two come together as one, and what you see is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, marriage is an image of the gospel. Notice how he frames it up here at the end of this chapter. In verse 30 or 31, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. It refers to Christ in the church. See, here is what I love about marriage. It's one of my favorite aspects and components of marriage is when you have a marriage that is on fire for Jesus, two people coming together as one, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't just allow for their marriage to flourish, but it has an effect on the people around them because it creates an image. If you go to a museum and you see a particular piece of art or sculpture or whatever it may be, the reason people go to museums And the reason people look at all these things is because it draws out an emotional response. Um, That's why they go. And so when they go and they see something painted from maybe a century ago or two centuries ago, or they see a piece of artwork from another country or culture, what it does is it transports them for a moment where they think and they feel and they realize just a little bit of what it would be like to be there. To sense the passion and emotion of a new place or a different time or a different country, whatever it may be, and it moves them. That's what happens. That's why people go to have those kind of experiences. Or even a different way, when someone has a particular candle and they smell it and it reminds them of a place. See, what happens in a marriage is when a marriage is running on all cylinders, People don't just see the two individuals together, but they see, watch this, the love of Jesus. They see the love of Christ. It is a way where marriage comes together and it makes the love of Christ visible, where you can see it vividly and clearly in the way that the husband loves the wife and the wife comes alongside in partnership with the husband. It's vivid and it's captivating because it's something that's created by God. And when it is set into motion, it's different than the rest of the world. It's different than what the world says marriage is or the culture says marriage is because it is something and illustrated by what God says it is. It's where the love of Christ is made visible. One of the most insightful questions that can be asked in regard to marriage for couples that are pursuing marriage or someone that just wants to get married one day is why do you want to get married? It's a very, very insightful question. 
it communicates a lot. Some folks will say, you know, I, I want to get married because it's a good financial decision. You know, Huntsville's pretty expensive and, you know, she's here, I'm here. Like, let's come together and it makes sense on the spreadsheet, right? Like, it works in the budget. Or because, you know, maybe not that, but we just love being together. We like the same coffee or whatever it may be. Like, we really enjoy being in each other's company. But here's where I think we find the most mature answer. It's when marriages come together and the chief aim, like the goal of their marriage, is not so much to handle financial trouble and not so much because they have all the same hobbies and things like that, but when a marriage comes together because they want to portray and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a mature marriage where two people come together and they say, we pray and hope that our marriage makes much of Jesus. That when people see us, they don't see us, but they see him. That is a mature marriage. One that draws people in to Christ as they see his love captivating and moving in a couple. And so my prayer is that for future marriages, for marriages now, even when our kids grow up and they get married one day, that marriages at this church are built to be an image of Christ and his love for his people in his church. That lost people people who do not know the love of Christ, who have not submitted to him as Lord and Savior, have not trusted in him, they are drawn in and captivated by Jesus because they see how much he changes a people. That's the hope. That's the prayer that the well be full of folks whose marriages are built upon the gospel. They paint an image of the gospel and people trust in the gospel as they are drawn in by the goodness of Jesus Christ and his love for the church. One of the greatest tools you have in your evangelism toolbox to go and take the gospel to those that need it is actually your marriage. Because with your life, with the way in which you love and care for one another, you can introduce the gospel and then share vividly the good news of Jesus in due time as people are drawn in. My prayer is that our church be built and our marriages be built on this design. And so wherever you may fall today, whether you're single, maybe you're wanting to be married, whether you want to be single the rest of your life, whether you're married now, or whatever it may be, that we would have a commitment to live within this design and watch marriages grow and flourish. This picture and image of the gospel is that Christ laid down his life for the church. And that message is indeed true because Jesus came from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he died on the cross as the city and people turned on him. And when he died on the cross, we say that a lot in churches and out in the Christian culture, but sometimes we don't understand why. He died on the cross, not because it was random and not because it was just a humanitarian thing to do, but he died on the cross to take something. And it was to take my sin and it was to take your sin. All the sinfulness of mankind placed on him as he died on that cross. And so 
where you and I have messed up, where you, I, you and I have fallen short of the glory of God because of our brokenness and sin, Jesus in his love and care for you, he took that upon himself. And the good news of the gospel is that even though Jesus died, three days later he rose from the grave. There was a resurrection that happened in that tomb. And that resurrection has brought new life to us as the church. Jesus says that if you would trust in him, that if you would hope in him, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that even though we were spiritually dead, you can be made alive in Christ. That he will take you from spiritual death and you can have a new life. You can be a new creation, free from sin, free from guilt, free from all those things. And you are brought into the family of God if you would do this, if you would trust in him. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 10 says it is, for, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so it's not how good you are if you're sitting here today trying to be saved by being good enough. If you're sitting here trying to save yourself by going to church and tithing and going on mission, those are good things. Those are noble things, but those things fall short. He says you just need to have faith. And so, friend, if you're here today without Christ, without this eternal family, I just want to invite you to trust in him today and experience new life by placing Jesus as Lord and Savior over your life. If you're here today, never done this, don't wait. But in this next moment, I want to urge you to call to him to save you. Let's pray together.